Hi everyone, and welcome to Remaking Tomorrow, a series of conversations about the future of teaching and learning. I'm Ryan Rudzeski, here with Greg Baer. This is a podcast powered by Remake Learning, a network that ignites engaging, relevant, and equitable learning in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. On today's episode, we're talking with Dr. David Miyashiro, superintendent of the Cajon Valley Union School District in Southern California. For nearly a decade, he's helped lead the district through a series of transformative changes. He established the first computer science magnet school in the United States, earned the district acceptance into the League of Innovative School Districts, and rolled out personalized learning programs that have been cited for their excellence by the White House, the U.S. Department of Education, and many others. If you're interested in the future of learning, you'll be interested in Dr. Miyashiro and what he's done in El Cajon. David, welcome to Remaking Tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Dr. Miyashiro, we are so ecstatic to have you here. You are one of the bright lights in public education across America and someone whom we respect so very much. And we love what you and your colleagues are doing in Cajon Valley to develop what you describe as happy kids in healthy relationships on a path to gainful employment and also making El Cajon one of the world's best places to live, work, play, and raise a family. Words we love here in Kidsburg, otherwise known as Pittsburgh. So let me take you back to 2013. That feels like 30 years ago in COVID years. <laughs> and in 2013, you first became superintendent of the Cajon Valley School District. Can you tell us a little bit about what the community was like in 2013, what the school district was like when you first came on board, and what stuck out to you? The first thing that stuck out to me in Cajon Valley was the beautifully diverse community. We have over 42 languages spoken, and we have the largest Middle Eastern refugee population in the country. But multicultural is an understatement, and the beauty of the diversity was something that is a great strength for us. And also the powerful network between the Chamber, the Economic Development Council, local businesses, and the community at large was already intact as a good, strong infrastructure. David, what do you attribute that to? What had led to that cohesiveness that was already in place across Cajon Valley when you became superintendent? Actually, it was in place across the community. The district wasn't part of it. In the East County of San Diego, it's a very salt-of-the-earth type of place where local businesses, local startups, huge military presence here with the Navy, Air Force, and Marines located all in San Diego. It's just a network of people that do good things and support one another. When I got here, one of the strategies that the school board had asked me to look at was how do we make the school district a part of that community and even become a hub of that community. And I think that over the course of the last nine years, we've done that by creating a shared mission and vision, which you articulated for us beautifully, Greg. So over the course of those years, you've helped lead the district through a series of firsts. And lots of those first, though I should say not all of them, were tech-related. Things like the first computer science magnet school, a digital teacher academy, technology that supported personalized learning for your district's 17,000 students. So can you talk about the trends or the signals of change, either in Cajon Valley itself or the world at large, that led you to push for those kinds of changes? What is it that you wanted to provide for the students in your district in order to set them up to thrive? Yes, yeah, so I'll first start by admitting some of the sins of the past. Ten years prior to that, in 2003, I was a new school principal in one of the worst performing schools in California. And the only goal that my superintendent gave me was to get out of program improvement, which was basically all the No Child Left Behind sanctions, so improved test scores. 
And so with a laser-like focus, we took our staff through a series of strategic planning and narrowing standards to get kids ready to pass the end-of-year standardized test. And we became the New England Patriots of standardized testing. We didn't cheat. We just knew the game really well and coached our kids and teachers to play well enough to be a, a Title I achieving school. And over the course of several years, we watched our kids improve their test scores and watch our teachers just lament and say, what are we doing to these children? They're still dropping out of high school. They're still going into generational gangs. They're still getting pregnant as teenagers. We are changing test scores, but not changing outcomes. And they were right. We were doing the right thing by accountability standards, but in terms of human and career development, we were doing nothing. At the same time in 2004, our visionary superintendent began a one-to-one -one computer program with MacBooks. And there were these multicolored clamshell Apple computers that, when you think about it, had very low computing power and barely accessed the internet. But we decided to implement in my Title I school a computer for every child. And the kids on the other side of town in the most affluent school in Fullerton also received their MacBooks at the same time. Our kids so outperformed the affluent kids in digital literacy, in creating podcasts, in making these elaborate PowerPoint and keynote presentations. And it's because everyone was learning from ground zero. And when kids aren't afraid to learn and break things, and kids have a level playing field, engagement goes up, and kids can show you just how genius they are. So our low-income English learners were incredibly savvy on these computers. And that's really what started the idea of using technology to enhance education. And then as software and the internet caught up to the market, then we can start personalizing and blended learning so that we can maximize teacher time and student time and really utilize the best technologies to better serve our students. I myself became a teacher in 2009, which was uh, right at the height of No Child Left Behind. And I know from being in school that those beliefs you know, that test scores are everything, they're entrenched. And teachers, even if they don't necessarily buy into that themselves, they're under lots of pressure to behave that way. So when you decided to focus on things like creativity, on technology, on, as you said, breaking things, how did you do that? Did that require you to build buy-in? Did it require you to build consensus? And how did you set up to sort of change the district's direction? I think our teachers were in the exact same place that you described in your career at that point in time, even though it was four years later. The first question I asked every stakeholder group, parents, teachers, students, and community were, in regards to the district, what's working, what's not, what should we start doing, and is there anything that we should stop doing? And every person said that we should stop doing these massive benchmark tests and a checklist of things that principals micromanaged in terms of teacher and student behavior. And those are all the things that the accountability system and No, no Child Left Behind put into the system, so we just removed them. And then... People were like, well, what are we going to do if we're not doing that? Because there was no replacement. We just decided to stop. We put an RFP out to teachers to say, you know what? We have a lot of research and past history of personalized and blended learning and smart use of technology. Who would like to apply for a grant to have computers for all of your students, plus ubiquitous Wi-Fi? And then 90% of our teachers opted in in year one. That was almost 900 certificated staff. And so we very quickly created a digital platform, a blended learning classroom to train our teachers at scale and began our path to digitalized, personalized learning. You talk powerfully today about developing your students as happy kids in healthy relationships on a path to gainful employment. 
Not everyone would say happy is a powerful or appropriate word in public education. So how did you come to that sensibility that develops happy kids? What does that mean for you? And can you talk about building consensus for that? On a very basic level, just listening to students and their parents on the question of what do you want for your children when you drop them off at school or when you step into the building? Kids want to be happy. They think about, am I going to be liked? Is the teacher going to be nice to me? Am I going to have friends? Who am I going to sit with at lunch? And parents have the same questions. Are they going to have friends? Are the kids going to be nice to them? Is the teacher going to know my child and make them feel special? Those things relate to the basics of happiness from a scientific standpoint. So we start with self-awareness, a strong sense of self, and then helping a child build self-esteem. And once they have that self-efficacy belief that they can achieve their dreams, we define happiness very scientifically and then equate that to healthy relationships. We know that happiness and healthy relationships go hand in hand. So we cultivate those through our coursework, through how we schedule the school day, and through the intentions of our assessments to make sure that our students are building strong relationships with their peers, but also with the adults in the building taking care of them. And then gainful employment, that's the end game. We want all of our children, especially those in poverty, to find gainful employment and financial freedom. And those conversations started 20 years ago and crystallized here in Cajon Valley. Actually, really crystallized when I visited you in Pittsburgh in 2015 and saw Remake Learning happening all over the community where you had universities and businesses and philanthropy and the school districts and even the sports teams were participating in Remake Learning. And that's when I really started to think about your playbook and how do we implement that here in Cohen Valley. And we're really grateful for your work and for your book and all the great resources you've given to the rest of the country. Thank you, Dr. Miyashiro. This is Greg Baer along with Ryan Rudzeski. We're talking with Dr. David Miyashiro, superintendent of the Cajon Valley Union School District in Southern California and one of America's great superintendents. So today, Cajon Valley is a nationally recognized leader in personalized learning. And you've won several awards and you've been accepted into the League of Innovative Schools. So tell us about what it means for you and your district to take part in something like America's League of Innovative Schools. When we were first inducted into the League of Innovative Schools, our first convening was in Pittsburgh, and we got to meet 72 other school districts with trailblazing leaders that already had innovation under their belt. It wasn't something they were working on, it was something that they had created. And so to join a network like that, so powerful, with people trying to solve the same problems using a variety of tools in very different communities, it was really an opportunity to build and learn and grow both as an individual, but for us as a school district. And like I said, we took the playbook right from Remake Learning and brought it right back to San Diego County and shared with our business community and our philanthropic community to say, look, this is happening successfully in Pittsburgh. We can do this here in San Diego. And since then, we've gotten lots of traction and progress. You know, when you put a bunch of superintendents, a bunch of district leaders in a room together, people who are thinking like you, maybe thinking differently than you, but all trying to innovate in their own ways, what are some of the things that come out of that? What are you thinking about as a group? What are you pushing yourselves and each other to do next? What I learned from that group of superintendents is in order for them to achieve the innovations at scale, and that was really the litmus test for the league, they had to build extremely strong relationships and trust in their own local communities. And leaders that build trust typically tend to be humble and recognize others and are not the ones out in front. They're the ones behind the scenes giving credit to others. 
and to see how other leaders use those strategies to help build an organization that functions highly well has been great. And I think that those are some of the tools that we've shared with each other, the backend work that happens to make the innovation successful. Because at the end of the day, it's people, it's a human process to improve a system. And without bringing the humans along, the system will just stand still. You couldn't be more right about that, about putting humans at the forefront. Dr. Mishir, for years, your district has been moving toward a more adaptive, a more technology-enhanced, a more personalized, a more human and humane model of learning. And at the same time, you've also focused on students' health and wellness in that sense of humanity. So all of this, we would imagine, has been completely stress-tested during these past two years as we've all navigated the COVID pandemic. We're curious about how the changes you implemented before the pandemic helped you weather the storm better than you might have otherwise done. In 2014, when we finally reached the benchmark of every child had a computer for their learning, and it was a progression to get everyone digitally savvy. But I think by 2016, we were into our second iteration of Chromebooks and digital suites. We got better on the back end of our IT infrastructure and data interoperability. That process of preparing kids and teachers and their families for the digital world helped us transition smoothly to distance learning when school shut down in March of 2020. And yes, signing on, getting access to curriculum, communicating with teachers and students wasn't an issue for us because they were used to doing that already. What we learned, though, is that very quickly, once parents realized that the pandemic wasn't going to end in just a few weeks, that this could be several months, maybe longer, then desperation in the community really started to unfold. And our parents started to cry on our Zoom calls with our community town halls telling us, you know, I I have to work. Either my husband has to quit his job or I have to quit my job. We don't have the time to dedicate to help with distance learning because we're actually working from home. And all these desperation cries, but especially those of our low-income families who were going to work and leaving their fifth-grade student to babysit the babies. And now that was just unsupervised young people without any help at all. There's such an equity that we saw. And so we reopened our schools in April of 2020 for free childcare and brought our kids back and slowly opened to scale by June of 2020, which is really early in the pandemic still. And I think that the trust and relationships, the investments in our families allowed all the employees to open up and serve our families the way they needed to be served, the way they wanted to be served. And for most of them, it was in person. So not only did we have a strong digital infrastructure and the ability to communicate with our families through the kids' computers, but we had the human infrastructure to open our classrooms back at a very scary time during the pandemic to serve our families and allow the economy to get going in Cajon Valley. I just think that deserves to be underlined. April, May, June 2020. So this is just months after the pandemic unfolded. The way that you were able to respond immediately and then within a few months' time respond to where families were and where they needed you to be. It's just incredible. Dr. Miyashiro, you know, that word desperation that you used really stuck with me because we are heading into a school year that may be, well, more normal than last year is not going to be the year that we thought we were going to have. The arrival of the Delta variant has somewhat introduced that word desperation back into the equation. So I'm curious, what are you thinking about that the pandemic made more apparent? How has the experience of, of running a school district through this pandemic maybe change your thinking about the things the district might offer or the direction the district might go in the future? Yeah, we have learned a lot. I think the biggest teacher were our community and our parents. 
we began weekly Zoom calls with the PTA presidents, and we let them bring a friend from every school on a weekly basis. So about 60 parents, and we invited principals too, to come to this weekly Zoom hour just to hear what's happening in the community, what's working, what's not, what do we need to improve. And then over the months, now we have relationships and really know these people deeply and well. They helped us create Camp Cajon, which was the second version of summer learning for us. Our first one was really in the beginning of the pandemic, so it was on a smaller scale, just 6,500 kids. But this summer, with parent design, we created a theater arts program across the districts with performing arts and music and vocal and dance. We created an outdoor immersion program where kids learned to surf and swim in swimming pools, but then spent the second half of their summer in the ocean and in the lakes. We created a competitive sports program with club-level sports for all students, and then wrapped around that enrichment and literacy and learning. But really starting with the interest of students, we would want to maintain that. The parents are saying that, why can't school look more like summer camp? And the teachers liked it a lot better too. You know, school should be fun for everybody. So this year, we're looking at using our enrichment opportunities and the high interest things to be part of the core instructional day, and then wrapping the literacy and math around it. That's an innovation that I think will be widespread soon because the literature and the research and some of the stimulus money is saying it should be for extended learning and enrichment. I would imagine that the folks listening to this podcast, whether they are parents or teachers or school leaders or just folks who care about learning, are going to be interested in learning more about what's going on in Cajon Valley. How can they do so? Where can they find out more about what's going on in your district? CajonValley.net has a lot of our own resources our YouTube channel, we've documented everything by video over the last six years, and it dates back all the way to probably 2013. And then worldofwork.net is home to our career development curriculum and resources and blog about the work that Ed Hidalgo and our district has helped to lead around career development and gainful employment. And that's a, a large part of our story as well. That's Cajon Valley, C-A-J-O-N, valley.net. And you've got to find some of the flash mobs that they've done in Cajon Valley, too, <laughs> among teachers and community. It speaks to that joy and happiness and fun of learning. David, before we go, just one more question for you, please. What's one thing that parents and educators can do today to make tomorrow a more promising place for every learner? I think just be involved. Show up. Go to board meetings. Go to your teachers. Have your voice heard because it matters. We believe so strongly that education is a service industry, and service starts with the customer, both the internal customer employees, but most importantly, the external customer, our parents. And please engage with us. Remaking Tomorrow is powered by Remake Learning, a Pittsburgh-based network of people and organizations that ignite engaging, relevant, and equitable learning practices in support of young people navigating rapid social and technological change. Learn more at remakelearning.org slash tomorrow.